0: Today we are wrapping up the Ten Commandments and we are looking at the last of the Ten Commandments today. And before we get started, I want us to just quickly, in the Bible, look at Exodus 20 and just familiarize ourselves and remind ourselves of the previous nine. That will help us as we look to the last one, which is do not covet. Now, hopefully um, you had an incredible Thanksgiving and you are out of the turkey coma And you are ready to listen and to hear God's word. Um, But we are going to be talking today about coveting, And that is um, a topic that I think perhaps you think is not related at all to Thanksgiving. But it is actually the antithesis of being thankful. It's the exact opposite of being thankful. Because when we covet and desire someone else's stuff, we're not thankful with what we have. And what God has given us. And so this is a perfect time to talk about the 10th commandment. Let's look in Exodus 20 verse 1 and we'll read the first 17 verses just to give us an idea of what is happening um, up until the 10th commandment. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth do not bow and worship to them do not serve them for i the lord your god am a jealous god punishing the children from the fathers iniquities to the 3rd and 4th generations of those who hate me but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands do not misuse the name of the lord your god because the lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female servants, your livestock, the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. And do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor." I wanted to read all of those 10 because we're going to come back to those 10 and see how the 10th commandment applies to each of the previous commandments. Because this commandment is the only one that deals specifically with our thought life. This commandment addresses all the previous commandments because what begins in our thoughts comes out in our actions. So last week when we talked about adultery, we saw that when you commit adultery, remember how Jesus said, even if you think it, it's as if you've done it because if you think it, you are going to bring that into being if you have the opportunity. And so coveting something and desiring something or someone gives way to the action. What about murder? You want something, someone stands in your way, you kill to get it. You want something that someone has. You steal it. See how coveting and desiring then affects and allows you to take the next step and commit the next sin. We have got to be fierce with our thought life. We have got to bring it under the lordship of Christ. Because if we let our thoughts grow rampant, then evil flows. And so we need to be careful and cautious with what we desire. And so we see that the Lord gives us four different things um, not to covet. Um, Not to covet the neighbor's house. Not to covet your neighbor's wife. Not to covet your male or female servants. Not to covet his ox or his donkey. And then he gives an all-encompassing, don't covet anything. But for some reason, he gives these four different ways that we shouldn't covet. The first thing that I noticed as I was studying that these two, these four ways can be divided into two major distinctions. Two major distinctions. The first is possessions, our household, our ox and our donkey, that we covet and desire other people's things. The second thing that is distinct about this group is relationships. We covet other people's relationships. We wish we had their wife. We wish that we had their, their the, in this um, passage, their slaves. We wish we had their kind of influence in relationships with other people. And then if we deep, go deeper, we realize that there are four desires that these topics help us Think more deeply about what it means to covet. Many people think that perhaps I was coveting Austin and Caleb and Jonathan's beard. And so I wanted to grow a beard. But that's not coveting, is it? Because I didn't want their hair. Well, I kind of want some hair back here. Maybe they'll transplant. (laughs) That's not coveting. Coveting is when we desire someone else's things because we don't think what we have is good enough. And it is more about our desires than anything that we deal with in coveting. And I want us to look at what these four things represent about desires that you and I have that we need to take charge of and give to the Lord because these desires are desires that cause great sin and great struggle. So the first thing is control. It's represented by our household. The desire of control. Think about that. Being the man of the house, being the lady of the house, that you feel the most secure and established and in power when your household is in order. It's real important. It's a deep desire to have that deeply taken care of. But if that becomes your greatest desire, then you begin to look at other people's families and wish that your family was more like theirs. You begin to wish that your household looked more like someone else's household. And you begin to want to control your environment to make it that way. You know, when... um, Meredith and I get into the most stupid fights. Um, It's usually based on when I feel out of control everywhere else in the world. And I start messing in hers. Not horrible. And so this is a desire that's deep. That we each have to fight. Control says happiness comes when you're running the show, when you have security and power. The second desire that we battle in our mind is adoration. It's represented by your spouse. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Being adored by someone else. It's a deep need to be loved and adored. Adored. And this hits us at all stages of life. I didn't get married till I was 44 years old. There was a lot of friends that got married way before I did. It's very easy to go, wow, I wish that I had someone that was my cheerleader. But if I tried to find someone to do that, then it would be a horrible marriage because it was all about meeting my needs, right? And that's not what marriage is about. And so that desire is not a good desire. It's not a good desire. Because marriage really is not about what that person gives to you. Marriage really is about as you work together seeing the beauty, the beauty of what God can do by creating you to be one. The beauty of what it means to have such an intimate relationship and knowing that God's relationship is even more intimate and deep. But if we are looking at someone else's spouse and going, I wish I had someone that treated me like that, or I wish that I was married when no one else, everyone else is married and I'm not married. Or maybe your spouse died and you don't understand why They were taken and your friends still have a spouse. It's a deep desire to be adored. And it's it's an issue we need to address that we don't need to covet what others have wanting it for ourselves. Adoration says happiness comes when you are desired above others. The third desire that we battle in our mind is significance. That's represented by how many you influence. It's talking about slaves in this particular passage, but it really goes beyond that because the more slaves you had, the more influence you had in this culture. And the more you had say in public arenas, the more power that you had, the more Uh, People were likely to hear your advice and heed to it. The more of a legacy you left behind. Significance says happiness comes when you're respected and valued for your position, your ideas, and your opinions. And so when the Lord says don't covet other people and their place, but be thankful for where God has placed you. Be thankful for the influence he has given you. The fourth desire that we battle when we covet is comfort. And it's represented by possessions that make life easier. For the Israelites, it was ox and donkey that made the work easier, didn't it? For us today, We don't have those in our backyards. Well, some of you may, I don't, but we do have technology. Isn't it interesting that Black Friday begins on Thursday now because we're so desperate to get things that make life easier. We're a consumer mentality. And if we desire what other people have so much, it can become what we worship. Comfort can become what we worship. Hard to take risks when what you desire above all else is comfort. Hard to take a stand for Christ when all you care about is the comfort that you have for yourself and for your family. I see so many times that parents are so concerned about their children, they want to provide for them. It's such a great, a great desire to provide for your kids. But you know, sometimes we provide so much for them that they don't know what struggle is. And when you don't know what struggle is, you don't know how to be thankful for what you have. Because it was always given to you. And if comfort is the thing that you're wanting for and you're just making sure that everyone is comfortable, then they miss the sufficiency of Christ and Christ alone. And so it's so important that we fight against These desires, comfort says happiness comes when life is easier, and I am consuming things. I was reminded of of the opposite of comfort when I was on a mission trip to India, and um, we were uh, in the the Himalayan mountains in Darjeeling, and it is up high very difficult living there. Um, It was a crazy experience. I I took several college students with us and there was about 10 of us on this trip. And as we were in the city of Darjeeling, everything was difficult. There was nothing that was easy. Cooking was difficult. Sleeping was difficult. Going to the bathroom was difficult. Everything was difficult. And I've been to countries before like that. I've been to Africa, and that's the case there too. But I guess when I was in India, it was cold. It was in the winter. And so that created another level of difficulty as well. Keeping warm was difficult to do. And then on top of that, Darjeeling is a very unique city where it is very mountainous. The city is just constantly climbing up or down hills. And the roads are very narrow and the people are walking the roads. There are no room for cars. So when you are delivering things to people's homes, you're not delivering them with a delivery truck. So it was not uncommon to see every day someone getting a refrigerator or an appliance that was coming to their home. And instead of coming by car or truck, It was strapped on the back of a man walking up a really big hill. And you don't walk straight up, you know, because that would be horrible. And so you have to meander up the windy road to get to someone's house. And I remember thinking, my word, this is like a refrigerator. I don't even know if I could carry a refrigerator on my back. And I'm, you know, 6'3 and a lot of weight. And this guy is less than five foot, you know, and the wind would blow him away. And how in the world is he making it up this hill? was not comfortable. But what was more impressive to me than the refrigerator, which was crazy, was when a new construction was happening and they were giving at least 50 foot of rebarb was coming up the street. And it was one man and he was bouncing it and bending it so that he could go up and around the curves. I I was so fascinated with how they were having to make things work in Darjeeling. But here's the thing that I discovered while I was there and meeting with the Christians that were there in Darjeeling. They were the most thankful people I'd ever met. They were most gracious with what they had that I've ever met. Because the struggle allowed them to see what they had and to be thankful for it. Comfort is an enemy of thankfulness. And so when we covet, these things come to mind that we are battling these desires of control, adoration, significance, comfort. Tears Green says that those four things become idols in our heart and are the root of every trap. God's word says, happy is the man who trusts in the Lord and has not turned to the proud. Or to those who run after lies. Comfort says happiness is about power. Adoration says happiness is about being adored above all else. Significance says happiness is about influence. Comfort says happiness is about consumerism and ease of life. God says happiness is about trusting in the Lord. And not following after the lies of comfort, significance, adoration, or control. And all of these lead to one root sin. To covet really means that you are putting in your life an idol, that you want something so bad so fiercely that it becomes the most significant in your life. It's idolatry. Our pastor talked about that at the beginning of this series in the Ten Commandments. It's the first commandment. Do not put any other gods before me. Do you see how that these two commandments, the first and the ten, are interrelated and that everything in between them Really map out what God is trying to communicate to his people. Do not put anything else in front of God. It's idolatry. Thomas Shiner said in his book, The King and His Glory, which by the way, Noel gave me this quote this weekend. He is missing you for sure. The first and the 10th commandment addresses the same issue. Whatever one covets or desires in one heart represents what one worships. Nothing and no one should capture one's affections above the Lord. Furthermore, in the New Testament, it identifies covetousness as a form of idolatry, a sin which God detests. It's found in Colossians 3, 5. And that verse says, Therefore put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In the end, envy and coveting is Satan's tools to distract us from pursuing what is the only thing that will ever truly make us happy, that will ever truly make us content, which is really God and God alone. The first commandment, do not put other gods before us, is from God's perspective The 10th commandment is from man's perspective. Don't covet because that's what you're putting before God. And so we see that um, it addresses the same issue. Think about it with adultery. If we covet someone's wife, the next move is to have an, an affair. If we covet someone's things, the next logical move is to steal it. If we covet some position or wish that someone was out of the way so that we could take over, what's the next step? Murder. And remember Jesus said that even if we think it in our minds, it's as if we did it. If we think that there's anything that is more important than God, we're coveting that over trusting that God will provide, that God will care for us. What we think on, we desire. What we desire, We spend our money, our energy, our life to gain and acquire. And in time, we become worshipers of that desire. James 1.15 warns us about that. It says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Ephesians 5 says, also talks about that every sexual, immoral, and impure and covetous person who is an idolater does not have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or of God. Colossians 3.5, which I've read before, reminds us that coveting is idolatry, placing things or relationships above God. So what is the remedy for coveting, What can we do to help us avoid this trap of the mind? I think there's three things that we can look to. I think the first thing that we can do is changing our desires by desiring God. You know, Psalms 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How do I delight myself in the Lord? Spending time with him, making a commitment to put him first in things that I do. How do I delight myself in the Lord? Reminding myself of who he is, what he has done. Delighting myself in the Lord means that I spend time with him. Yes, I make much of him. Yes, I talk about him often. Yes, Delight myself in the Lord and he gives me the desires of my heart means that he changes my desires to line up with who he is. So no longer do I have a desire to control. Now my desire is to give control to him. No longer do I have a desire to be adored. But now I desire to bring adoration to him. No longer do I have this desire to be significant, but now I want to make him known and show how significant he is not only in my life, but in the life of those around me and in the life of every person that has ever lived. He is the creator and sustainer of all life. And so his significant significance is vastly greater than mine. And no longer do I worry and desire comfort. But now I will sacrifice many things so that others can know who God is. It changes our desires by spending time with him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you those desires. He will help you fight against The desires that bring and cripple you. And he will give you desires that bring life. The second thing is to trust God. He really is all we need. He will provide everything that we need. He is in control. And our deepest concerns, we can trust him with them. It may not be answered in the timing that we want, but it's always answered at the right time. You know, it took a long time for me to get married, 44 years. And I get that. That was long. But I waited for the right person. I had to become a good person (laughs) first. But then God allowed me to connect with someone who challenged me in my faith and who didn't freak out when I said, you're not my first love, but you can be my second. Because our first love needs to be the Lord. But that's not real romantic to say to a young woman, is it? So maybe I had to wait to 44 to throw that one out. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. If we put our hope in what we have, we will be disappointed because you always want more. But if you put your hope in God, he will never leave you. He will never abandon you. Philippians 4.12, I know bef- both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. In 1 Timothy 6, 6-8 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. And Psalms 44 says this, Happy is the man who trusts in the Lord, and he is not turned to the proud and to those who run after lies. How do we remedy coveting other people's things? Desiring God above all else. Trusting God. And the third thing is thanking God. Remembering who God is, what he's done, that defeats our temporary concerns that our needs are not met immediately or in the way that we want. Thanking God for who he is, thanking God for what he's given us, and thanking God that what he's given is enough. It's enough. It's enough. I think the biggest lie of the world is is that it's not enough. Whatever you got is not enough. But the truth is, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. First Peter tells us that. But what you have is enough. Psalms 9-1. I will thank the Lord with all my heart. I will declare all of your wondrous works. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most influential stories in the Bible for me as a child was Daniel. I love Daniel, love the story. It captures a kid's imagination. You know, there's great, there's several different things that happen in the life of Daniel that you can grab onto. um, How they ate and and followed after the Lord. um, That they didn't bow down and worship Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then Daniel in the lion's den, of course, is a great capture But you know, the overarching truth behind that stories was that Daniel, when um, the law came out that you couldn't pray to anyone except the king, Daniel made a conscious decision that three times a day he would pray and give thanks to God because that was more important than security. It was more important than comfort. It was more important than than he was an incredible, he was a wise man, he had great power in that. It was more important than his significance. It was more important than other people adoring him. He made a decision to bow the knee and thank God for all he'd been given, knowing that that, Was enough. And when he went into the the lion's den and he prayed and the lion's mouths were shut, and then the king ran out and said, Daniel, are you there? And he said, Yes, the Lord has protected me. He proved to the world that God was enough. In church, I think sometimes we need to be reminded that that's our story too. That how we live tells the world of what we believe about God. And are you living a life that the world is looking at and saying, you know what? God is enough for them. Everything else could be taken from them and it wouldn't matter because God is enough for them. That God is the most important, that God is the one that they revere, that God is the one that they spend their time with, that God is the one that they desire. Is that our message? Or have we fallen into the trap of falling after those that are chasing after lies and saying it's not enough? And church, I'll be honest with you. There are many days that I realize I've lived a day and I haven't lived in that truth. That God is enough. And that is why he gave us the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, yes, are about how we live in society and how we should function and act towards one another. But even deeper than that, it really is about our relationship with the Lord. And if we put him first, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. What a great challenge. What a great encouragement that we should delight in him, that we should trust the Lord and that we should thank him each day. Today, You may be at a place that you realize that you have put things or people at the highest height of importance in your life. And they don't need to be there. That that's really where God needs to be. And so today in our invitation time, maybe you just need to take a minute and repent. And ask the Lord to help you make it right and put him on the throne. Maybe you have come and realized that you have been striving after things and nothing is enough. And you're tired of the lies. You're tired of the game. And you want to make God your Lord, your Savior, the only one that can meet all your needs. So today is the day. It's the day to make that first step and to say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have done many wrongs and your son died so that I could have a place with you. And I want you. You're enough. So maybe that's where you need to be today. And if so, I invite you to come and to talk to either me or Caleb will be here at the front Um, to share with you and hear your, your decisions. Would you please stand and let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we acknowledge that we have chased after a lot of things in our lives. We have been prone to wonder And Father, sometimes we try to take things into our own hands, desperately seeking stability, security, significance, to escape difficulty. And we fail to realize that all of those things are from you and you alone. So, Father, we just come and we pray that you would help us put you back in the place you need to be above all else. Help us to delight in you. Change our desires. In your son's name we pray. Amen.